Welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. As always, I'm one of your two co-hosts, Matthew, and joined with me today is my other co-host, Michael. Hi guys, how's it going? This is uh, episode 42, and that's the Tyler Bozak episode. Pouring mm-hmm. one out for the homies. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, again, Tyler Bozak is a, a great Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, at least in this recent decade. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great choice. I'm, I'm pretty almost sure one of the most underrated players. Yeah, uh, on the Leafs, we got to keep this uh, trend going. I think next 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 week's uh, is pretty easy as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there's actually two players, two Toronto players, or former one former and one current Toronto uh, athlete that we could use for next year. Yeah. Next week. Yes. But uh, anyways, um, yeah. Welcome back and uh, a pretty eventful week. A pretty eventful week. I mean, sports are just going crazily right now. Um, Last week, our episode was right before the uh, Raptors game seven. And yeah. uh, by the time you're hearing this, unfortunately, now um, the Toronto Raptors have been eliminated from the playoffs uh, after falling in game seven to the Boston Celtics. Um, and yeah, I just want to know what you think, Michael. Uh, before before we get into that, like I just want to introduce that we do have a great guest on very shortly in uh, William Liu, the lead reporter from uh, Yahoo Sports, the lead uh, Toronto Raptors reporter. And uh, mm-hmm. we we went more in, in depth uh, on the uh, Toronto Raptors and that. But before we get into that, I just want to know uh, what were your initial reactions on that game seven? Well, first, I want to preface that uh, just after the game uh, seven last week, me and Matthew did a post game recap on the game itself, uh, where we did a video interview mm-hmm. with ourselves. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, please do so. It should be on YouTube. Uh, I, I'm sure. I think we'll put a, just a link in the description of this mm-hmm. podcast if you're interested in listening to that. But uh, I mean, at the time, frustrated. Uh, you're excited that uh, this Raptors team had a lot of potential, and they almost realized it, and they nearly pushed one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference uh, to the limit and were a couple possessions shy of uh, taking the win. I mean, we obviously remember that Norman Powell shot that got blocked in the last couple of minutes, seconds mm-hmm. that could have changed the uh, factors of that game. And honestly, you have to give uh, the nod to this Raptors team because they could have eased, like I've said this many times, they could have easily keeled over and like had one of their worst seasons in a long time uh, after losing a big star like Kawhi. But they used uh, his uh, departure as motivation, and look at look at where they are now. They're in a really good spot, and who knows what the future holds for them. For sure, and uh, like you said, uh, make sure you check out our post game uh, mini podcast, uh, and let us know what you think about those. We might be doing more. Uh, hopefully, if the Blue Jays go to the playoffs or on special games where we react. Um, but yeah, go check that out because that's our true immediate reactions. But I'll just give a summarized reaction of mine. Um, I think it really stung for Raptors fans this year because, um, you know, it's almost like this whole season we really built it up where there's no expectations. They're exceeding all our expectations. Things are going great. But it's almost like in doing that, we did kind of build expectations for ourselves. For And mm-hmm. Raptors fans were just thinking, hey, I mean, if they're doing this great, they really can be, you know, a uh, contending team. They can really go all the way. And they really could have. But, you know... Raptors fans should be happy with the outcome regardless. Um, and I mean, we'll talk about it later, but uh, in the episode, but as of uh, as of recording this right now, the Clippers were eliminated. So, you know, Kawhi Leonard left for the Clippers, got this exact same uh, exact same result as the Toronto Raptors. So uh, it makes mm-hmm. you think. 
I think this team is in good hands and um you know they're they kind of beat themselves up in game seven um a lot of the mistakes were self-inflicted a lot of turnovers um, oh yeah Pascal Siakam's offensive woes again Pascal Siakam has been taking way too much slander though online um he's been elite defensively during that series he just couldn't get the uh shot his shots to go in um and he'll bounce back I'm pretty sure he'll bounce back next season um given given some good uh time to train properly um he missed out on a lot of time but this team's in good hands and we'll have to see how it uh unfolds um other than that before we get right into the interview uh Michael anything happened this week uh anything of note honestly this week was my first week back in uh, school which has been quite a long time uh the last time I was uh taking classes was towards the end of April uh been quite a few months uh off since then uh a lot's changed for me personally as you as you know and as i mentioned in the podcast uh on previous episodes but it's good to be back in school it was definitely weird to see be on campus that was empty and all the social distancing rules but honestly just to see my friends again was awesome so what about you awesome i mean not much i'm just continuing doing work uh and uh just chilling at home really um things things are going good though um yeah so I think with uh, that, we'll go right into our interview uh, with William Liu, the lead Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports, and we'll go into that now. Today on the podcast, we're pleased to be joined by William Liu, the lead Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports and the host of the of the Raptors Over Everything podcast. Before joining Yahoo, William also wrote for Raptors Republic. Welcome to the show, William. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, awesome. no problem, man. Thanks for coming on to talk Raptors with us. Mm-hmm. It's uh, what, what I do for the majority of my time. So. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. So, That's uh, true. So uh, we let's just get right, right. into it. Um. Like looking at the year in review, I know you wrote a piece about uh, remembering this season's Toronto Raptors. So, can you just tell us what makes this year's Toronto Raptors so special? Yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly, first off, you know, as Raptor fans, it's not very often where they go to the playoffs and you feel proud about how they did. You know, obviously, it's the last two years, you know, it's been a different story with the championship and then this last series, but you just don't usually feel that proud. And I felt like this team kind of set the bar for, like, what the future iterations of the Raptors need to be in the sense that I'm, like, very much overseeing, like, the mid-2000s Raptors, um, even the early 2010s Raptors, like, teams that, you know, would finish, like, 29th in defense or, like, we <laughs> like we would – be desperate to uh to make the eighth seed or anything you know like that like this is kind of the standard you know you have a team that plays defense first everyone on the rotation was a, a really good defender um and also a team that kind of played together shared the ball and honestly just played with that sort of like passion and fight that um you know previous teams didn't have like, i mean obviously previous teams weren't defending the championship didn't have as much talent maybe or um, as much experience but like this team there's a a lot of stuff that you can replicate moving forward 
And I felt like, you know, this should be that sort of golden standard. Like, yeah, no, they didn't win the championship, but they didn't really have the talent to necessarily contend for a championship, but they made the most of what they had. They played, you know, um, a really smart brand of basketball. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing more teams like this one. Absolutely. Would you say that the loss of Kawhi, uh, like, makes this team all the more impressive, just what they were able to accomplish in spite of not winning a championship? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But I, I think it's, you know, if you even compare it to a couple of years ago, I think you you just lost a, a, a substantial amount of offensive talent off of this team. Um, and so sort of without that traditional number one go, go-to guy, obviously with Pascal underperforming, and Kyle doing it at times, you know, in that Celtics series, which is very impressive, but Kyle's historically not really a number one type of score that sort of carries the rest of your team. Um, that was the part that was really the most impressive was because if you just look at the scoring talent on the team, it wasn't that high. And ultimately their, their offense was the reason why they lost, not necessarily their defense, which is still good. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's impressive that they – not only that they competed sort of despite sort of the lack of scoring talent, but also it was impressive that they competed because they had many chances to stop doing so, right? Like even after last year, without Kawhi, you could make the argument of the, of the team going in a different direction, right? And, and the general um, manager and, and the president decided not to do it. You have Kyle Lowry, you have Serge Ibaka, you have Marcus All those three guys would all have been great tra- didn't train any of them, kept the team together. They wanted to compete, and they built this great defense. And even when you go to the playoffs, you're down 0-2. You're, on, you're, you're down 2 with 0.5 seconds left in game 3. And for them to flip that game around, to compete in game 4, to win game 6 in double overtime, you know, I think it's just, it's just impressive to see that kind of quality and that character. Because if you look around the league, like a, a lot of teams don't really complete, compete that hard. Um, I would say very, very few teams actually know how to compete hard. That's a, that's a skill and that's a talent. And the Raptors had that talent and that skill this year. So um, that was what's most impressive to me. And, of course, yeah, you, when you lose Kawhi, you're, you mean, what did he do? Basically Michael Jordan records in terms of his scoring and his defense? Like, yeah, you're, you're going to suffer. But, um, you know, as I wrote in that story, the Raptors won, in, you know, in spite of his absence, uh, a lot more than they lost because of it. And, and that's – that's that's just hard to say because if you look at a lot of other franchises that have lost a star player, you know, the Warriors with Kevin Durant, of course, they have injuries this year, but still, you know, they went from uh, in the finals to the worst record in the NBA. If you look at uh, LeBron leaving Cleveland twice, both times after they left Cleveland was one from like a 61 team to a 21 team. And with Kawhi leaving, the Raptors actually had a better win percentage in the regular season this year, which is just kind of incredible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's just a, Go ahead. Just basically, just gonna say it's crazy just to think of how much of an impact uh, the the loss of like a number one talent can be. Like I, I know for hockey, we talk about the, the Islanders losing Tavares and look at the situation now. But for the Raptors, I think what's more impressive is they maintain this identity throughout, even when Kawhi was was a Raptor. That defense first mentality has still been there, and they've had success. Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say uh, this whole, like, season, we've been saying all season, but it's almost like a magical, like, wild card season that has just exceeded expectations the entire way. And I completely agree with you in the sense that um, this team should be seen as, you know, the premier team for hustle and heart especially and mm-hmm. and, and beating the odds. And, and, of course, last year's expectations were to 
uh, you know, win a championship with Kawhi Leonard on a rental, um, you know, contract basically. And uh, this year was more like, you know, there was no expectations, but they were still able to um, almost compete as if they had the exact same uh, expectations. So, I mean, I agree with you right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, if we're talking about last year, there was plenty of moments that we look back on very fondly. Uh, I think I can think of one shot with four bounces that immediately comes to mind. But uh, in terms of this year, what were your favorite moments covering the Raptors? And are there any funny stories you'd like to share? Um, I mean, I think a lot of them, really. Like, this is, for me, this is the first year I was, like, consistently in the building every single game um i mean i guess last year in the playoffs too but this year yeah i mean raptors game they're at home um seeing the atmosphere or you know just around and you know what it is actually the biggest thing was seeing the the difference in confidence uh for the fan base because basically up until that Kawhi shot it, it felt like everyone kind of expected um things to go wrong for the Raptors because that's uh, historically what happened. There's just a lot of, you know, unfortunate things happen to the Raptors. You know, they, Vince Carter gets a semi-open look in 2001 and he misses that shot and the Raptors lose. It just so happens he's graduating that day. So, you know, obviously a lot of things going on, unfortunately there um, in terms of timing. And then, you know, you get the number one pick that turned that first pick turns into Andrea Bargnani. When you think about the average number one pick being like pretty much an all-star at least very, very good chance to go to the Hall of Fame when you have the number one pick the one time you get it. It's Andrea. And, um, you know, you just have a lot of unfortunate moments. And so the change in the fan base is sort of going from a a franchise that mostly despairs to one that, like, is really hopeful and feels very confident in every scenario was great. Like, I think the prime example of that was, like, early December, maybe late December, but um, the Raptors playing the Mavericks, they're down 30 after... Um, you know, what, three quarters essentially. And the Raptors fans, like everyone just stood there. Everyone just stayed. And Kyle Lowry hit a three. People got excited. And it was like, honestly, <laughs> a couple years ago, like like a, if you go back like a decade, like A, that game um, would be not nearly as well attended. But also just, um, you know, there wouldn't be that same hope. People would be leaving to, to beat traffic or whatever. And, and the Raptors obviously pulled that upset off. That was a r- ridiculous game. I remember the Philly game, the first one where the Raptors played Philly um, and be held scoreless in that game. Mm-hmm. That game was phenomenal. Just hearing um, how delirious the fans were after um, Embiid missed the free throw because he was still stuck on zero. And the Sixers got like a, I don't know, three seconds in the key kind of thing. So they got a free throw shooter and they sent Embiid there. Usually it wouldn't be Embiid, but they sent Embiid just to get him off the uh off the streak of scoring, uh, being scoreless, and he still missed that shot. And the reaction from the fan base was incredible. So Josh got – basically, he uh, flopped to get three free throws, I think, against Terrence Davis. And somehow, even though he's an 82% free throw shooter, he missed all three. But the fan, the fans were just incredible throughout this entire season. That's one of the biggest regrets of um, this year not being played out, you know, in a regular NBA environment is just, you know, <laughs> the Scotiabank uh, Arena atmosphere was is just been incredible, and it's a tangibly missing part of what makes the Raptors great. But um, you know, the rest of the stuff is just you know, it, it's a fun team. You know, I really enjoy you know covering the team. I'm not like and pretend like I'm gonna be friends with any of these guys. I'm really not. But you know, getting to sit down with Fred VanVleet, um, he's a really really great interview. He's a really cool guy. You know, mm. um, chatting with Pascal, chatting with Mark. Chat, sitting down with Nick Nurse like there's just a lot of interesting people with interesting stories 
very generous with their time. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a good group of guys. Like, I think I'm going to miss the personalities on this team if any of them decide to move on because it was just a really good mix. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it was definitely just a great team all around and, uh, and it must have been awesome just covering them. Um, but our next question is, I mean, we just want to get actually into the basketball talk here and we're nearly a, nearly a week removed from uh, the Raptors playoff exit and in your eyes, what went wrong in their series against Boston? Uh, they couldn't score. That, that's what it is. I mean, Raptors were kind of an average offense in the regular season. A lot of it was transition. Um, they, they were really, really dominant in transition. Uh, and then the Celtics, they were just, you know, a bad matchup, A, because they were really good at defending in transition, and B, they're just a really good defensive team as a whole. Um, and I think actually losing Gordon Hayward helped them defensively a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it's just – their main guys couldn't come out and deliver and score, right? The three, you know, leading guys on the Raptors, Kyle, Fred, and Pascal, only one of those guys really scored at their level, which is Kyle. Fred scored a lot, but also shot the ball um, with inefficient numbers. I can't totally blame him for that, to be honest. He had a lot of late shot clock situations, although that last shot in game seven was kind of painful. Um, and then Pascal, like straight up, it's it's not all on Pascal, but Pascal was just so far below his level that it just dragged and the rest of the offense in general. And then there's other things you can point to of like, yeah, the Raptors bench, you know, even though they won a lot of games this year with the bench, Nick Nurse didn't ultimately trust anybody off the bench, essentially. You know, Norm took too long to sort of make his impact on the series. Surge, for some reason, didn't play that much, um, even though he was actually one of the few Raptors making his shots. And then all these other guys, I mean, Matt Thomas got, a, a, a you know, some look, some a, a bit of like five-minute runs in the – game six and seven, but ultimately that he wasn't going to go to Chris Boucher or Ronnie Hollis Jefferson mm-hmm. or Terrence Davis, you know, guys that had contributed in the regular season. And, you know, if you were heading into the series, you would have thought, okay, the Raptors have an advantage in depth. They have seven guys, at, at least seven guys that you can play. And it turned out not really to be the case. Um, you know, so it's just offensively. I think that was the biggest thing. It's just, they didn't have enough. You know, when you have zero from literally zero from Marcus Hall, he's not giving you anything. And then Pascal also plays so far below his level. Fred shoots inefficiently. It, it's just very, very tough. And the fact that they were even in a position where they were down two with Norman Powell streaking in transition, getting blocked by Marcus Smart in the final minute to force a tie, that just tells you how great they were defensively. Um, but, yeah, offensively, they just didn't have enough men. For sure, for sure. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people have uh, – have identified but i i gotta ask you uh for sure uh, especially a lot of the criticism has went towards pascal siakam obviously um kind of the assumed number one player because uh of the contract he was given but i gotta ask you uh what do you think this kind of playoff series means for siakam is is the ceiling still just as high for him or has it changed um i mean it's Look, okay, first off, I feel really bad that he's taking this much criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think by no means is Pascal the only one at fault here. For sure. Like, yeah, you, you Pascal's not scoring nearly as well as he should have, but that's not the only reason the Raptors lost. The Raptors lost as a team. Like, it's unfair to single him out. For sure. And it's also also just straight up unfair that there's, like, all these, like, 
racist petitions out against them. It's, I mean, I don't even understand that. Oh, it's, yeah. Those are, those, are the, hatred. those are the worst. Like, honestly, I mean, side note, like, like, Pascal Siakam does not deserve any of the slander that's been no. going towards him at all. And, like, yeah, we're just trying to obviously bring more positivity towards him because his potential is still there. But I got to, of course, ask you, like, um, does do you think this changes uh, anything in, in terms of his ceiling? I don't think it changes necessarily in his ceiling. Um, I, I think he needs to continue developing the way he's currently developing. I mm-hmm. think a lot of star players sort of uh, take a hit. I think it depends on what you, your thought on his ceiling was to begin with. If you thought he was going to be one of these Kawhi-level type players, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think he would ever get to that level because – that's just, it's not even necessarily pessimism. I just don't think that there's that many players out there like on that level, right? To be the yeah. number one guy on a championship team. How many guys in the league can you really say that about? You know, like Kawhi, Kevin Durant, LeBron, and Steph. That's that's it. That's only four guys. Even a guy like um, James Harden can't do it. Uh, guys like Paul George can't do it. You know, there's a lot of great stars. Giannis can't do it, right? A lot of these other guys can't do it. There's four mm-hmm. of these people. And I didn't think Pascal's ceiling was ever that high. But, um, I, th- you know, I think Pascal, obviously, he, he's been a, he's a growing player. He's been developing a skill set. It's just the skill set wasn't sharp enough for one reason or another to make an impact, to make the kind of star level in this um, playoff series against Boston. Um, and so whether that's because there was a long layoff um, – or whatever it is, I just think that he's going to continue working on that skill set. And really, it's just things like his handle needs to get better, needs to get tighter. Um, mm. You know, his shot needs to get more consistent. He can think he he can continue. What is? I mean, he's star this, be an all star, and it's really just taking that leap from being in the regular season to being really effective in the star in the playoffs as a number one guy. Because even though he was a game taken away, you can't spin because literally everyone in the league knows you're going to spin. Uh, you got to sometimes you got to beat two defenders, sometimes you got to beat smaller defenders, bigger defenders, very, very the, the cream of the crop kind of defenders like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. Um, you know, you're going to have shot protection at the rim, people are going to show you zones. You got to be really developed and really honed uh, as an offensive player to succeed in that environment. And, you know, it's very clear. Pascal's not mm. uh, sharp enough at yeah. the moment. Mm. It's really tough for him to, like, adjust to that number one role, especially uh, so soon after losing Kawhi. And I know a lot of Raptors fans were having high expectations because coming off a championship season, there's, like, this mentality, like, oh, this team can do anything. And as you were saying earlier, the confidence level in the fan base was very high. So, and to be fair, he did live up to those expectations a lot during the regular season. But I, I, it's hard to really pinpoint what exactly caused him to struggle in the playoffs. but. I mean, I want to give credit to the Raptors uh, team as a whole because even though offensively they didn't really uh, give it like a consistent effort, like you could probably agree with me in, in the sense that uh, Boston really did a good job of neutralizing them in some areas. But in spite of Siakam's struggles, they were able to make that series go to Game Seven. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's and that's all defense. That was all defense. I mean, you look at games like Kemba Walker had a game where he played 51 minutes in Game Six. It scored five total points. And it's like, you, Kemba's really freaking good. He is really deadly. And the Raptors were just able to scheme. And that's where you see the difference in the quality of a guy like Jason Tatum. Because the Raptors threw more stuff defensively at Tatum than what the Celtics ended up throwing at Siakam. 
Um, and even despite that, Tatum was still able to be effective and play around that and, and find different ways to score. That's when you know you've really leveled up, when you can succeed in a playoff environment against a really talented defensive club. But the Raptors really made life tough for them. They made life so, so tough for them. And honestly, the Raptors made a lot more clutch plays, right? Because honestly, you know, if, if the – I mean – if, if Norman Powell makes that layup, which, you know, it's, it's really like a fraction away from being a layup, or at least he's a fraction away from getting it on the backboard, and that would have been called a uh, goaltending. There was a goaltending early in that game. Whatever. If the Raptors somehow won game seven, I don't think they deserve to, but if they had won game seven, all people would be talking about is the fact that Boston didn't score a single basket in game seven for the last five minutes of the game. They didn't have a single field goal for five minutes. And people would be, you know, slamming the Celtics for choking, slamming them for missing 10 free throws. Uh, and being unable to capitalize on a Raptor team that clearly wasn't at their best. Um, and a lot of that just comes down to defense. Like the Raptors just like they gave the Celtics hell and the Ra- and the Celtics are really great. That's how I know the Celtics are really great because I know the Raptors, you know, uh, through the entire book at, at Boston and, and eventually they, they won by one possession. So it is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm, exactly. exactly. I think uh, defense is most definitely a huge uh, positive takeaway from the, uh, this entire series and also just the playoffs in general, just how well the Raptors defense was. I want to ask you though, what other positives do you take, get out of this playoffs and who impressed you the most? I think Fred had a really nice playoffs. Um, even in that Celtics series, I know Fred didn't shoot the, the ball the, um, that efficiently. It was probably around like 35% as a field goal percentage, which you would say, wow, that's terrible. Um, but I mean, considering how much shot creation he had to do and had to take on because Pascal was struggling so much, um, and, and, and sort of also what he did defensively to Kemba in that series, I, I thought Pascal, I thought, uh, Fred had a really nice playoff for him because, you know, I mean, whatever the, the net series is, you know, whatever that was basically a G league team, but Fred was pretty good. And, and Fred was the Raptors leading scorer in the playoffs, um, you know? And, yeah, he shot the three well. He defended really well. We all knew that. And he played heavy minutes. He showed an ability to compete. Uh, I think he found ways to impact the game on and off the ball, which is pretty impressive. And there's things that, like, yeah, he can't really make layups unless he gets, you know, if, he, if he's driving one-on-one against the guy and he puts his shoulder into him, maybe he makes that layup. But if there's any help put the rim or anything like that, he's probably missing just because of his mm-hmm. size. But uh, Fred was Fred was awesome. I mean, I, I thought Fred was – you know, incredible in the playoff run. And then I guess OG as well. Um, not that necessarily OG showed you uh, a completely new skill set or anything like that, but the confidence in which OG approached, especially that Celtics series, you know, hitting, hitting that game winner and then saying, I don't shoot trying to miss. Like that was actually his mentality throughout this entire Celtics series where you would have thought, okay, the Celtics have great defenders. He might struggle, but OG was very confident in his role, even though he was like a fourth man, um, fourth option, you know, he would, you know, go behind his back, pull pull up for for jumpers. You know, uh, spin move, dunk on people. You know, get in there for offensive rebounds. And of course, defensively, we all knew OG was really good. But damn, OG was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably mm-hmm. the only guy in the Raptors that could guard. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jason Tatum one on one consistently and not allow him to get a shot off. So, yeah, those two, OG and Fred. So, uh, I, I just want to ask you, like, let's talk about OG a little. Um, what? How much more of a step do you think he could take in his career? Like how much how 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 much higher is the ceiling? Do you realistically think? I mean, I think the big limiting factor right now is his handle. I don't think he can get to the spots that he wants to get to on the floor. And I think that's 
that's always going to hurt you as an offensive player. It means you can't really run pick and rolls. It means you, you know, sometimes he'll get steals on the fast break, but he can't necessarily get separation and finish clean on the rim. Maybe he gets fouled instead because his handles just slows him down. Um, and, and yeah, so I think he needs to sharpen up the handle. And I think if he can do that, then a lot of the other stuff, I think he actually has the skill set to do some, you know, the three point shooting. I, I, you know, I, I, he is a pretty good three point shooter. I don't know what to say when you watch him or practice mm-hmm. like that. He's, he's pretty money. Um, he's working a lot on sort of uh, coming off a pick and like running a pick and roll. It, it looks really slow when he does it, but um, I think there might be some development there. And honestly, it's just it's just a handle because I think everything else he has a good sense of. Defensively, he's really good. Offensively, he could have a little better awareness in terms of sometimes he collects an offensive rebound and there's like three guys around him and he still tries to finish. So maybe that offensive awareness is something that could improve. But at the same time, he's also a surprisingly decent passer. Um, for a guy who doesn't have the ball that much, he makes good decisions with the ball. So it's really that handle. If you can get that handle and then if he can get some semblance and off and dribble off the dribble game, whether that's like, you know, defenders going under the screen, he's going to pull up uh, or get to the mid range and pull up. We've seen it occasionally that, but definitely not nearly enough that it would even make a scouting report, let alone, you know, be a consistent option for him. But you know, he's, he's also mad young. That's the thing. He's younger than um, rookie Terrence Davis, which mm-hmm. always, it always shocked me. I know there was the stories that came out this year of like TD and OG used to play on the same AAU team. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. OG is super young. <laughs> and maybe Terrence is a little old for a rookie, but OG is just <laughs> still so early in his development. And for him to already be able to perform in the playoffs, for him to already be a really good 3 and D guy, like the floor is already so high for him. So the ceiling is just whatever he wants to make of it. If he can get the handle down, you know, he, he could be a very scary player. For sure. For sure. Um, and then my next question is, of course, today, um, Nick Nurse received a multi-year contract extension. Uh, I just want to know your quick uh, initial thoughts to that decision by the Raptors. I think it's good. I mean, I think it's good. I mean, look, the Raptors still need to, you know, extend Masai and Bobby Webster and keep the front office in charge. But I think one of the strengths of the Raptors organization is great, great leadership, right? You got Kyle on the floor, you got Nick on the sideline, and you got, you know, Masai and Bobby at the top. And having strong leadership is the number one key to having uh, success in any sort of organization, not just sports. But, um, but yeah, Nick deserved it, man. Nick absolutely deserved it. And honestly, I'm just really happy for the guy because it feels really fitting that the Raptors would have a coach like Nick. Because if you look at the team, it's like late first-round picks like Kyle, Serge, you know, OG, Pascal. Those guys are all late first-round picks. You got Norm and, uh, you know, Marcus Gasol. Those guys were second-round picks, you know. Uh, Fred was undrafted. Terrence Davis undrafted. Chris Boucher undrafted. Matt Thomas undrafted. Like, that's like the whole rotation. It's like everybody is just, you know, had to beat the odds. And Nick Nurse is essentially an undrafted coach. Like, you have, like, first-round picks like Steve Nash who, all right, I want a coach. I was a legendary player. I'm going to get a coaching job. Uh, whereas for Nick Nurse, this man had to coach like all across the world, man. This guy would tell us stories about how he used to coach in Belgium. And since his team was first division and he had to sometimes play a fourth division team, that fourth division team would be spotted a 30 point lead just at the start of the game. It'd be 30 to nothing to start. And then his team would still win, you know, like, and Nick also he has like a, you know, he, he should, honestly, I would read a biography by, of Nick Nurse. Cause I would want to know all these little small details of how he used to drive the van for this like semi-professional basketball team in Oklahoma. So he was the coach and he also had to drive the van. Like that's how small the operation was or, you know, um, 
like, you know, one of my other favorite Nick Nurse stories is that he coached against Masai Ujiri as a player. Like Masai was playing in England wow. because Masai was apparently not a very good basketball player. <laughs> um, and Nick Nurse was literally coaching against the guy who would eventually become his boss and hand him this extension. And so Nick is a guy who's had to absolutely grind. It's made him a really good coach. And um, yeah, I mean, he's he's been fantastic in his two years. I think, you know, more than anything else, the, the way he's approached the job has been really refreshing in that, you know, you know, A, he's willing to be really creative. He's introduced a lot of wacky ideas, right? Like I don't see a lot of teams running box and one before Nick Nurse came along. I don't see a lot of teams full court pressing for extended periods until Nick Nurse came along. Um, and, you know, B, I, I think he's just really refreshing that he's willing to call out his players. Like mm-hmm. the only guy he's not going to call out is Kyle Larry, obviously, because there's nothing really to call out with Kyle. And, and you, you know, nobody, no coach wants that smoke with Kyle Larry. But, um, you know, he will call out everybody. He'll call out Pascal. He'll call out, you know, uh, Norm Powell. Um, you know, what did what, Rondé and Stanley Johnson, he told you from day one that these guys weren't very good. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of really enjoy that yeah. about Nick. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love how you put, it. I think uh, Nick Nurse is the, definitely the perfect embodiment of uh, Raptors culture, almost that next man up mentality that, you know, work hard and grind and, and get to where you are uh, mentality that, you know, the Raptors have always, have always shown in their players. And the fact that, you know, last year there were no lottery picks in the, um, on the, on the roster. And then this season as well, um, he just, yeah, he just perfectly represents that. So that's, that's, that's an amazing point. Oh, exactly. And the stats speak for themselves. So I'm just looking at it right now. A, a 0.721 win percentage on the regular season, a 0.657 win percentage in the playoffs, and obviously the NBA championship and all his other accolades at every other level. The, the man's a great coach and he deserves to be where he is. And it's re- it's really refreshing to see uh, Raptors lock up uh, what's who's arguably going to be the best coach in Raptors history. That's a hot take, but I stand by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the, listen, the bar is low, man. <laughs> We've had some bad coaches. Um, and Nick, I mean, Nick already has more playoff wins than every other, a, 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 any other Raptors coach. Like Dwayne Casey coached there six years and he got 22 wins. And Nick Nurse is already at 23. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, obviously he had Kawhi for that year and he's had a really talented roster the last two years. But but still, that's, yeah, it's only two playoff runs. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, so my next question is, uh, I mean, our next question is basically, uh, do you sense a similar extension from Masai, uh, coming soon? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, first off, actually, I don't have any inside information on this, so of course, this is of course. Just really my opinion. Um, and then also, B, I have to really add the caveat that. In a, in a post-COVID world, um, you know, it's hard to sort of anticipate these things. I will say that uh, I don't think MLSC is short on money. I don't think Rodgers and Bell are short on money. Um, as far as things hit by uh, COVID, for example, like you can look at Houston. Okay, you have Tillman Fertitta. He runs casinos and restaurants. That's going to be a hit hard. <laughs> he might be weary to spend money. Um, as far as I know, we are still looking at our phones and going on the internet. So... I'm pretty sure Rogers and Bell are doing just fine financially, despite the, you know, an otherwise global recession. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think you, you know, first off, A, they have the money and B, uh, they, these guys just deserve it. Like uh, Masai and Bobby, uh, it's, it's a great, it's proven to be a great leadership. Tandem, the two of them together. Obviously, you know, a lot of teams have approached the Raptors. 
just to sort of talk to Bobby Webster about their, you know, head coach so far. But yeah, they, they deserve it. And honestly, I think, I think they probably want to stay. I mean, what what is the big... I mean, if Bobby gets a job to run an organization somewhere and it's a good situation, I could see them taking it for sure, right? Because I think everyone wants to be that, uh, to take on that challenge. But at the same time, you know, like he has a great situation here. His kids were born here, just like Masai's kids, you know, were born here and they have, they have roots here. They've, they've built a really good program here and there's not a great reason to leave. And, you know, there's like, yeah, okay, there's rumors that other teams want to come after Masai. That's great, man. I mean, it's great to be wanted, but I think Masai has a really great relationship with ownership. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, some of the Knicks stuff that comes up, and the Knicks hired Leon Rose, so it seems like that's settled for now. Um, I don't think that's really much of a you know a scare there. It seems like Washington was another room for a team interested in Masai. It seems like they have also made a decision there, and they're sort of letting their GM. Um, stay on and sort of make pretty key decisions, you know, in terms of like not trading Bradley Beal, for example. So it, it seems like, you know, I don't see the necessary, a big competitor out there with a, a job better than the Raptors. And again, MLSC has plenty of money. The Raptors have made them a lot, a lot of money over the years. The Raptors seats are they're probably like five times as expensive as they used to be. Um, and a lot of that is besides. So pay these guys. And, and I kind of expect them to get paid at this point. I think we'll see um, extensions for them sometimes i always find it funny that like at, um, like almost immediately after the raptors won a championship a news report comes out oh, oh the wizards want to take Masai, and then literally in the middle of this year oh the next want to take uh Masai. i feel like next year it's just going to be insert team wants to talk to Masai. it's just going to be endless cycle I, I just i don't know you're right it, it doesn't make sense for him to leave like this it's a great situation yeah, why would he want to leave what he's already built here so that he can go to New York where it's that's like a famously fickle market mm-hmm. or like going to Washington? And their reasoning for going to Washington was like, okay, they might offer him a slice of ownership, which honestly, um, if that's the case, you know, I can't blame Masai for doing that because obviously sports franchises are incredibly lucrative. Um, but I didn't think that was actually realistic and I don't think that actually happened and that was on the table. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. They're always trying to say like, oh, Masai could, you know, go to New York and that's where the United Nations is, head- you know, one of their headquarters is there and um, he can build connections. It's like, you know, we see Masai, you know, at games with Barack Obama or, yeah. you know, hosting you know, Justin Trudeau. Like, listen, if you have two G7 leaders, uh, <laughs> just like regularly, you're meeting with them or you're going to Kenya to help establish, um, you know, Kenyan Canadian political ties. Like I, I think Masai does fairly well for himself politically. I don't think he needs to necessarily go to Washington so that he could be near the white house, man. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, I guess when you're the champs, I guess everyone just wants to take a piece of that pie. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, look, look at how many people get hired out of the Spurs, right? Mm-hmm. The front office, like Sean Marks is now somewhere else. Right, you see um, the coaches that they produce. Like this is what happens to great franchises. You, you shouldn't sweat it. Okay. Oh yeah, of course. So since since we're talking about Masai, he's got a lot of uh, decisions to make uh, during the off season. Uh, we the big three obviously are Baca, Gasol, and Lowry. So what do you think is going to be happening to the aforementioned players uh, in, re- in regards to uh, whether or not they're going to stay? Yeah, I think you meant Fred instead of Kyle, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Fred. I mean, we 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 also mean, I mean, obviously Lowry's uh, 
kind of departure is is less rumored and it's not as big thing but i guess that's more of a result of how the direction of the team ends up going so yeah um, i think we include them in that question in a sense but not as in the immediate market you know yeah it's just more of an umbrella statement anyway okay all right well i mean what the free agents like i think I don't really know what you do at center. I think that's a really tricky situation because I don't really feel great about paying these guys. I mean, Mark looks look, Mark looks really done offensively. Mm-hmm. And even though I think he's still a really good defensive player, absolutely, he brings so much on that end. It's just he brings so little offensively that it, it, it starts to really hurt you. And I don't think the Raptors have that much offense to compensate for it. So, I mean, you know, if he comes back on a reasonable deal, like two years, like, I don't even know, man, like 16 million. Like, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. But I think he could probably get more elsewhere. So we'll see for Mark. Um, he's 35 years old. Uh, with Serge, Serge puts up good numbers. I like his culture fit. You know, he's been a good vet to pretty much everybody. Obviously, just a fantastic uh, media personality uh, in terms of just content. But, I mean, you know, I think, A, the Raptors clearly preferred Mark over him. So if you're not really going to even pay Mark, I don't know, $10 million a year. How much are you really going to give Serge? I mean, Serge can score efficiently. He doesn't defend as well. Still a pretty good defender. And honestly, Serge probably got a pretty big contract. So, you know, I, I, I don't feel totally great about both of those guys. I mean, I think for me, if the Raptors can sign these guys to contracts that aren't inhibitive, that aren't going to handcuff them for going forward, that aren't going to tie up your cap space and become negative assets, then I think you just resign them. I don't really care necessarily about the rest of the stuff. I think Fred, you just keep regardless, man. I mean, maybe a team comes with like a ridiculous offer and maybe you can't match it, but I think Fred has shown that he's a piece of the future and you're just going to keep Fred. Um, but with the other contracts, it's just like, like if you can sign them to a contract that can be later moved, then you do it. Because I, I do think that A, these guys are still very competitive. They're still very um, capable of contributing. And if you can keep an asset, generally speaking, I'd rather keep the asset and then make a trade happen later on and get something out of it uh, than just let someone go for nothing. And so we'll see. Again, if someone comes with a huge contract for Surge or a huge contract for Mark, you just say, listen, thanks for the memories. We appreciate it. You're always Raptor legends. You want a title here. Um, but best of luck, you know? But if it's like a reasonable contract, I'd like to Raptor to keep them. And then with Kyle, I mean, they extended Kyle. So he's on the books next year. Um, who knows? Maybe Kyle tries to leverage for another extension. We'll see. But um, I, I think they probably keep Kyle too. Um, I, I just it's it's just weird. I, I don't even want to necessarily entertain the idea of the Raptors losing Kyle because he's so fundamental to so much of the Raptors' success and what mm-hmm. they do and their identity. That mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you can argue yeah, it's, he's at the peak of his powers and you might flip him now. But I don't know, man. It's it's. Like, you know, with the Mavs and stuff, you never heard anyone being like, oh, you know, Dirk's getting old. Uh, maybe we don't necessarily want to run it back with him and Monte Ellis and Jose Calderon. Maybe we flip them for some future assets. They never end up doing that. Um, yeah. You know, or same thing with the Spurs and Duncan. And obviously Kyle's not Dirk or Duncan. Those guys are, like, clear-cut Hall of Famers, and Kyle's more borderline. But it's kind of the same deal. Like, unless you're blown away with a package, I don't think the Raptors are rebuilding. I think they're going to be competitive next year. And Kyle's going to help them be competitive. So kind of expect him to keep Kyle too. Mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to is, yeah, one, the direction of the season, kind of of, of direction of the team, kind of what happens based off what happens in the off season, but more of kind of t- getting a feel of next year's market as well. I mean, 
Um, I think we all want Kyle Lowry back and hopefully, of course, at, at his age, um, yeah. after next season, um, of course, at a, at a good, uh, you know, a good deal, um, worth of a contract. But, uh, of course I feel like, you know, it is possible that he might draw a, a large amount of interest if he hit the open market. And I think, uh, maybe Masai has to, um, kind of gauge that. So we'll see what happens with, uh, Lowry. Um, and what, what do you, and like, what will happen there but regardless of what happens um this offseason or next offseason um how do you think raptors fans will look back on lowry's time in toronto no matter what i think just with a tremendous amount of pride right like you know he i think we the reason of raptors build a statue for kyle and stuff like that not even necessarily because he was a multiple multiple time all-star or that you know he won the championship or anything like that uh, where he has all these franchise records, it's really the reason you will, you would build a championship for, or a statue for Kyle is because, you know, he is the the model for like you wish every single Raptors player who puts on that Raptors jersey who puts Toronto on their shirt is going to play as hard and care as much as Kyle does about winning the game, and it, that's that's because nobody cares that hard um, as, as Kyle does. And I remember asking Nick Nurse at training camp, um, you know, they they had hired. Um, this coach from, from, from the British basketball league, uh, Fab Flournoy, um, who was a player coach, uh, and honestly, incredibly in shape for a coach. And I remember asking Nick, just a throwaway question, like, Hey, you know, what's, what's your connection with Fab? Why did you bring him onto the coaching staff? And he was like, you know, Fab is one of the, uh, it's top three most competitive players that he's ever, you know, coached against or coached, uh, for, and he was going on about that. And then afterwards, I was sort of seeing Nick and I, and I, you know, just walking around the tunnels. And I was like, hey, Nick, who are the other two guys? And he said, Kyle. Kyle's, Kyle's the number one guy. And there's some, some other guy, you know, some random player, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick really respects, but we've probably never heard of because he probably played in like Italy or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kyle was the most competitive guy a guy like Nick has ever coached. And honestly, like, even if you look around the NBA, a guy who cares as much as Kyle is just rare. It's really rare to find. It's, it's the skill. And of course, he's also a really smart player. So I think the way Raptors fans remember him is just with pride and that he played harder than every other Raptor who's ever put on that jersey. And that's something that we should all expect from the players moving forward is that like, you know what, you might not be that talented. Let's be real. Kyle Lowry is not that talented in terms of what he can do and what he can't do. But because of how smart he is, because of how hard he plays, he makes so much winning happen. And um yeah, just an unbelievable amount of pride, man. He's, you know, the greatest Raptor of all time, like, period. And No doubt. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For sure. I, I really think he kind of sets the standard of what Raptors basketball and what Raptors culture is all about. And, uh, yeah, I love the way you put it. And given that he was playing in the Canadian market, which is already, like, uh, counted out uh, to begin with by a lot of uh, fans, uh, even a lot of fans in general would always count out Kyle Lowry and he's been playing with that underdog mentality his his entire time in Toronto and the fact that he's able to rise to the occasion and also thrive and find success. I said this on a previous podcast. I think Lowry's gonna go down as one of the most underrated players in NBA history. Yeah, definitely. No, mm-hmm. definitely, man. I think any team would love to have Kyle Lowry. And yeah, I mean, he's just it's it's been really really heartwarming to see him grow as a player because you the progression of Kyle in terms of worry when he entered the Raptors you know back in 2012 2013 it was like an accident man like they wanted to sign to Steve Nash 
who was like 38 years old. They wanted to sign Steve Nash instead. And Kyle was the plan B. Steve decides to go to Los Angeles and the Raptors end up with Kyle. And, you know, he turns into this whole magical player that, you know, has flipped this whole series around, this whole franchise around. You know, the Raptors wanted to trade him in 2013 and he had his bags packed for New York. And instead, you know, that falls through. And it's just, it all feels very serendipitous, but at the same time, feels like we've been through all the struggles with Kyle, you know, when the Raptors, when Kyle used to be down, the Raptors used to be down. Then Kyle grew to become an all-star player. Raptors made the playoffs. Then he had to sort of like, you know, overcome a lot of things in terms of being able to perform in the playoffs. Obviously that Wizards series 2015 was so, so, so terrifyingly bad and depressing. Um, but Kyle fought through all that and, and, you know, he made it out the other end and now he's such a proud, confident veteran. You know, everyone's singing his praises. And that's kind of how it feels. That's the trajectory of the Raptors is the trajectory of Kyle Lowry in his career. So, um, yeah, we're always going to see so much of ourselves in Kyle that, um, you know, it's going to be impossible to separate that emotion, let alone the fact that he's just a really good player. For sure. He really has defined this era of uh, Raptors basketball. It really is the Kyle Lowry, uh, Kyle Lowry era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're, since we're talking about the future and just how we're going to look back on things, uh, this uh, these up this upcoming off offseason in 2021 is going to be very big for the Raptors for obvious reasons. I can think of uh, two two words that uh, come to mind and for, for why that is. Uh, so taking that into consideration, uh, what do you think the Raptors' overall game plan is for the next couple of years? And regardless of what happens with Giannis. Uh, do you think the if the Raptors miss on him, do they blow it up? If they do get him, uh, what's their what's their plan of action? I think they're actually in a good spot. Um, if you look at the core four young guys, I guess young guys is not even accurate anymore. They're really young vets, but they have a good core moving forward, right? I'm assuming they re-sign Fred. You know, you have Fred, you have Pascal, you have OG, that, you know, who's extension eligible as well. And, and then even Norm, who's on a pretty decent contract and a pretty good player. Um, that's That's a decent core. I mean, it's not like a core that's going to win you championships on their own. Uh, but, you know, if you can add a star player to that in 2021 when the Raptors, um, obviously they plan to do so. Um, yeah, that, that could be a pretty good team. I don't really see them blowing it up moving forward. I really don't. Um, I mean, obviously blowing it up depends on who's available in the draft and things like that. But Raptors are a little bit too competitive to blow it up. Like you would have to move a lot of pieces out of this thing. And if you want to take apart so much of what you built already, then it doesn't really fully make sense. I think in the modern NBA, it makes more sense to stay more competitive. Like, I don't think Boston – Boston blew it up in the sense that, you know, uh, like Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett were clearly old, but they immediately sort of bounced back. They didn't really tank for multiple years, like a Sixers-style, Sam Hickey-style tank. They didn't really do that. They had one really great trade against Brooklyn that um, got them, you know, the core now. But – you look at Miami, they're in the East Finals now. They never really rebuilt. They just continue to be competitive. They, they signed guys. Even last year, they didn't have any cap room. Somehow they ended up with Jimmy Butler in a sign-in trade. And you see sort of the development that he, they've been able to do with guys that are young. Um, Houston's another team that's, you know, I guess they're out of the playoffs now, but, you know, they've also never really rebuilt. The Clippers never really tanked either. Um, you know, they just were able to, well, they were able to be bought out by one of the richest men in the world and suddenly <laughs> become an attractive franchise because they're not owned by a racist slumlord anymore. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, like a lot of teams have not opted to go that rebuilding route. And I think the Raptors, I'm not saying that they're going to keep this team in perpetuity. I just think that um, they have a lot here. They're going to be pretty competitive. So their picks are never going to be that great. And I think they're going to try to continue signing players, developing them, being homegrown. And then eventually, because they're, they've shown to be a winning organization and winning, uh, you know, a talented organization that, um, yeah, I think the Raptors are just going to um, kind of continue to do what they're doing right now and then just wait for the next Kawhi, wait for another superstar, something like that to come along. Um, and honestly, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. they will, you know? I'm just thinking about like how, uh, you know, the process of building a team has kind of shifted, especially in basketball, um, from, you know, building through the draft. And I mean, it still happens building through the draft, but we've seen a you know, shift a lot more towards either trades or mainly free agency, especially. I mean, we see how, you know, the Lakers, once they landed LeBron James, uh, everything kind of changed in terms of their trajectory. Um, and, you know, we see it as well, even with the Clippers uh, this season. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it banks on uh, a lot of it. You know, you do put a lot of pressure on on the free agency uh, uh, in an off season, and, and the fact that the Raptors can land Giannis, I think, uh, I think it does, uh, you know, kind of alter the way you want to, you know, um, think about your your future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just have another question. We weren't going to ask this originally, but since you were talking about young guys, um, a coincidence, it just happened, uh, but uh, Terrence Davis was just uh, announced to be, uh, to make the NBA uh, all-rookie second team. So I just want to know what your initial thought is there and, and what you think uh, the future can hold for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy for the guy. Just a really genuine dude. Um, you know, I think at the start of the year, I remember sitting down with him in training camp. And he, I was asking him, like, after our interview, just off the record, like, like are you going to play on the roster this year? Are you going to be in the G League? And he's like, I don't really know, man. I kind of, he's kind of, he's just <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much, I think probably the G League for a little bit and then come in. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then he went and played like almost every single game. And whatever, he got eventually benched because he wasn't very good in the bubble and he, you know, committed a bunch of fouls and Nick Nurse didn't really trust him. But uh, Terrence is a talented player, man. He's, um, he could score. I think he needs to improve his awareness. I think defensively, obviously, in order to play on the Raptors consistently, you need to be able to defend at a high level. But I, I like his offensive upside. Um, you know, he's obviously athletic. He can finish in traffic. Uh, and if he can develop some things like, you know, get better off the dribble, in terms of his pull-up three, then he can drive into the rim a little bit more, and just sharpening up some of the things because this skill set is pretty good, man. Six foot five, you know, point guard jumps out of the gym. You know, he's proven to be a pretty good catch and shoot player as well, which is great. That means he can play a little bit off the ball. Uh, you know, he can play, he can cut, he plays hard. Even when he makes mistakes, those are mistakes that are a product of him playing hard and making and the game being too fast for him, rather than him being lazy and committing fouls and. He wants to defend as well. You know, he's a coachable guy. Like, you know, I think he's never really made us think about not playing or his minutes going up and down. Um, he listens to the veterans and just straight up, he's a talented guy. Like, he was one of the standouts, even like, in, even in the first intra squad scrimmage game. Um, like, TD was just like out there and, and making a clear impact on, like, okay, this guy can really play. So, um, I'm happy that voters were able to recognize them. I know there's, uh, it's hard to win one of these um, All-NBA rookie teams um, when you are part of a winning organization. Like, I don't think Fred made one. I don't think OG ever made one. I don't think uh, Pascal made one. Um, 
And so, you know, it's just when you're on a good team and, and you're a rookie, you probably don't play that much. Um, but voters clearly were paying attention this year. They saw the amount of impact Terrence was able to pack into very limited minutes for the Raptors. And yeah, he's, he's pretty damn good. And again, he was undrafted. Like mm-hmm. this guy was playing basketball for the Denver Nuggets in summer league. And the Raptors were like, yeah, we need to sign this guy right now. <laughs> and I mean, you know, he's now he's on the all rookie team. Like that's fantastic. Yeah. Look at the guys he, he was there with Kobe white, Tyler hero, PJ Washington, Marie Hachimura. Like some of those guys are like lottery picks mm-hmm. and the Raptors got this guy for free. He's undrafted. So it's pretty amazing. It just speaks to the Raptors scouting and obviously their ability to find diamonds in the rough years. Just another one. And honestly, this might be, you know, it very well could pay off just like Fred Van Vliet kind of paid off, uh, yep. you know, same try kind of trajectory there. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, we're about to close out the interview. I just want to, uh, before, before we ask the last question, I want to, uh, you know, once again, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's honestly been an amazing discussion, really fun. And then we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, it's been really fun to come on and talk about this. You know, thank I don't you. get a lot of chances to talk to Raptors. So I, no. <laughs> no, no it's been good to chat man it's been good to chat for sure of course of course uh so my last question is i mean now with the raptors out who are you cheering for in the playoffs um i got a really good buddy of mine who is a heat fan and i don't really know any laker fans clipper fans or celtics fans so i'm gonna go for the heat i mean they're a fun story and um yeah, they've just been very fun to follow this playoffs. I th- was really impressed by what they did to Milwaukee, and that's a team that no one really expected. You know, that, there's a lot of Raptors parallels there with the Heat as compared to what the Raptors do. Butler is kind of like a shooting guard version of Kyle. Um, they're very good friends as well. So For sure. And I'm going for the Heat, man. And, uh, I mean, if you could pick one of the, uh, I guess, final five teams right now, but if you could pick one, who do you think wraps – fans as in general should cheer for and i know there's a lot of people making the argument that you know they want to there's some fans that want to support the clippers and support Kawhi, and some fans don't want to support uh Kawhi and the clippers because uh you know maybe a little pettiness there but um in general is there a team you would choose that either you would recommend raps fans cheer for not a lot of great options um to be honest i mean if the denver nuggets go through tonight Definitely cheer for the Denver Nuggets. I actually really enjoy that team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, with the Clippers, I would – honestly, I wanted to root for Kawhi. I really loved Kawhi and what he did. I didn't really feel mad about him leaving or anything like that. But the rest of the Clippers are just so unlikable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's just, like, frustrating to root for a team that's talented but also doesn't put it together regularly. So I wouldn't recommend shooting for the Clippers. Um, and then the Lakers, you know, the LeBron stuff is kind of obnoxious. I've always, you know, I just, I don't really, you know, I don't want to, I mean, come on, man. What are you going to be tweeting about Alex Caruso? Like, no, come on. <laughs> and then the Celtics, I mean, realistically, I hate the Celtics. So I, I can't really recommend that either. So really Miami is the only choice and even Miami's Miami not choice. great. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. even Miami, it's like, okay, so they're one of the contenders for Giannis. Um, oh, do you really too. want Miami to play as well as they do, but. I mean, just on a basketball level, Miami's a really fun story. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Jimmy up, Butler uh, is – oh, I mean, I was going to say Jimmy Butler is uh, one of Kyle Lowry's best friends, so there's that too. Yeah. yeah. Just want to quickly follow up. Uh, since you're saying the final five teams are not the most ideal, uh, what would you say is is the most ideal uh, finals matchup? Um, I don't know, man. Maybe Boston and uh, 
the Clippers, they've played some really nice games this year. I mean, only two, obviously, but they're, the two games they played were really fun. And, yeah, so I kind of want to see that go head-to-head. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, like, you can't really go that wrong with any of the combos, um, assuming that, yeah, the, the, the Clippers actually win tonight. For sure. Um, so once again, we want to thank you for coming on. Those are all our questions. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. And, uh, of course, let's go Raptors one last time. Let's go Raptors for the season. Yep. Let's go Raptors. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys didn't know already, William Liu is an awesome uh, reporter for the Raptors. He gives a lot of great insights, and you just heard that in our interview with him. So if you haven't checked out his stuff at Yahoo Sports, you should totally do that. For sure, for sure. I, I actually think we uh, we forgot to drop his uh, drop his uh, socials, um, but I'll drop it anyways right here. If you guys want to go follow him, um, his at is at William underscore Liu on Twitter. Um, you could check out his stuff uh, on Yahoo Sports Canada. And yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, again, the Raptors Over Everything podcast, which he's the host of. And just a great guy all around. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really appreciate him coming on the podcast. But yeah, um, I think we'll move on. Michael, I think you had uh, something you wanted to bring up. Yes. Uh, just before uh, we, we resumed uh, recording, we just got breaking news or just rumblings of a potential uh, mm-hmm. move. Yeah, rumors are, are spiraling. Marcus Saul, according to Eurohoops, that's at Eurohoopsnet on Twitter, is reportedly considering a return to Europe. Now, I know we were just talking about this before uh, we ca- we came back on about Jeremy Lin. I uh, was another potential uh, player in a similar situation that uh, left uh, the Raptors to go back home. Do you think Marcus Saul will will actually re- be returning to Europe, or is he going to be staying? Yeah, like I was saying, I mean. Th- I thought of the Jeremy Lin situation because uh, just yesterday, Jeremy Lin announced on Instagram that, um, you know, he spent the, the year in China, um, but he wants to make a return to the NBA next season. He was going to try to sign with an NBA team. But that situation was, you know, I remember last season, last offseason, Jeremy Lin openly said, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't getting any NBA offers. And Marcus Gasol, I feel like Marcus Gasol is still an NBA caliber talent. I mean, he's his defense is still elite, and I know there's a lot of teams. I mean, just look at how he took the Raptors over the top. I think his uh, acquisition in, uh, I mean, last season at the trade deadline is the piece that really put the Raptors into championship contention and allowed them to succeed in the playoffs. And I think other teams see that and. Uh, value Marcus All, and I think he could re- very much get a uh, lucrative contract in the NBA. So you know, um, this kind of strikes me, um, you know, questionably because uh, perhaps if he really is considering going to Europe, um, perhaps it's just to be going to home. Maybe he just wants to be there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that often happens. And maybe it's not just about money or just about playing in the highest, um, you know, the the highest level league. It's uh, just about going home maybe he feels like he's achieved enough um but yeah what what are your thoughts honestly if he wants to go back home he's more than welcome to do it he has his ring he played ex- exceptionally well in his time with the raptors uh the last year and a bit 
he's getting up there in age. I'm not really sure how much more of his career he's got left uh, of excellent play. I mean, we saw this year was like in the playoffs, there was a bit of regression, but during the regular season, he was still very impactful. But before that injury, which I can't remember exactly when that happened, but that the Raptors definitely missed his defense during that time he was gone. But overall, I think Marcus Gasol, I still think he is going to be coming back for at least another year. If if the idea is to bring him back, although he because although the thing is because he's up there in age, it's more than likely possible that the Raptors let him go, just because they want someone with a little more youth to them. They want to be able to maintain that defensive identity, but have other guys stepping up in their place. Because the Raptors bench, we saw a lot of guys stepped up, even though they didn't give as many minutes. And uh, as we saw yesterday, Terrence Davis uh, was able to lock home the uh, all-rookie second team. And I, I would imagine that there's going to be more players such as him getting bigger responsibility uh, next year and beyond. So I think all uh, – I know Terrence Davis is a shooting guard, so that doesn't really make a great comparison. But what I'm trying to get at here is that while it sucked to lose Gasol, I would understand why they'd move him, but I also understand why they'd want to keep him around. For sure. For sure. We'll just have to see uh, what decision he makes. Um, again, these are the rumors that are coming about, but we'll see what can change in the next uh, next couple months. But uh, moving on, I do want to talk about... Uh, okay, I mean, before we uh, go on, I want to say that our interview with William Liu was recorded... Um, I mean, as you heard, it was recorded just before uh, the Clippers and the Nuggets Game 7. And... Uh, at that moment, you know, they were they those both those teams were still in contention. But now today we are recording this on Wednesday uh, morning and the Denver Nuggets defeated the Los Angeles Clippers in game seven on Tuesday night. And I want to know your reaction to that, because I think the biggest thing is we know that Kawhi Leonard left the Toronto Raptors to go and contend in Los Angeles. Um, I know mm-hmm. he went home, but a big part of it was he wanted to contend. Um, you know, he felt like acquiring Paul George and playing beside him would make things easier on him. And where did it end? Where did he end up? He ended up in the exact same spot as Toronto Raptors without um, Kawhi Leonard. Yep. So and what, the difference yeah. is uh, the the score in the game. Like the Raptors game, as we were mentioning earlier, was close, but the Clippers and the Nuggets game was was a kind of a blowout pretty much right Mm -hmm. i want to give uh i mean a huge shout out to the to the nuggets though and our our own canadian great jamal murray arguably the i mean i'd say probably the best canadian in the league right now he's been playing absolutely insane um helping lead the nuggets to two comebacks two uh they they, both the first round and the second round they came back from a 3-1 deficit so huge props to the nuggets they seem like a really exciting team Mm mm-hmm Honestly, I think we said this in previous episodes, but Jamal Murray, this playoffs has been his breakout performance. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I look I look forward to seeing more uh, games uh, like this one. And regardless of whether or not the Nuggets are going to be playing the Lakers or the uh, Rockets. Oh, wait, is that series still going on? Uh, no. So the Lakers and the uh, the Lakers defeated the Rockets 4-1. Okay, yeah. And now yeah. the Lakers will face off against the, uh, the Nuggets. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify there because like, what I was about to say next but anyway yeah the lakers are going to be a very tough test but if they can toss that one i don't know this nuggets team might surprise might, might surprise people honestly i think uh the most 2020 uh matchup 
at this point that we can get is a Nuggets uh, Heat Finals. That would actually be so much fun. That honestly. would be very, Looking, very uh, fun. Jimmy Butler versus Jamal Murray would be uh, quite a series. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, but we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. We need to reflect on what was probably the most embarrassing playoff defeat uh, in the in the NBA this, this, this year, and that's Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and the Clippers boasting about winning multiple championships, and then immediately after, Paul George saying, actually, we didn't really want to compete this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, we love Kawhi Leonard. Um, he won a championship here. And, you know, I was actually, I would have loved to see uh, the, the Lakers-Clippers matchup in the Western Conference Finals. But, I mean, just like how you said it, I mean, I think there are a lot of factors that kind of made that team very hard to mesh. Um, I mean, we were talking about it last night a little, but, you know, Kawhi, I think you said it best. Kawhi and the Raptors were like almost a perfect fit. You know, the Raptors are, you know, the underdog work hard team. They, they're they egoless. And Kawhi Leonard was the egoless, um, you know, superstar. And now yeah. the Clippers, you know, he wanted to go home and I get all that. But there, there was a lot of off-court drama with the Clippers. Um a lot of egos as well. I mean, even with Paul George, a lot of struggles there. I just feel like there were a lot of distractions on that team. And I felt yeah. like it definitely, um, it definitely even got Kawhi most likely involved. Uh, we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but we can tell that they weren't clicking, um, especially in this bubble, as well as we had thought they would. And, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, Uh, I mean, I'm not even getting to the main question yet, but um, it's just interesting because it, it, you know, this team, the Clippers played like a team that didn't feel like they had to work hard for it. They played like a team that, you know, they had the, the confidence level was there. They were confident that, you know, they can just cruise by everything, but um, you know, that that didn't translate into actually playing well or actually working hard. Mm-hmm. That's what really frustrates me because this Clippers team was playing with that mentality that they won multiple championships, even though this is their first year together. And just to see them that that last days after that, oh, they can go off just on their talent alone and uh, win, win the championship with ease. You know, doesn't that kind of remind you of the Leafs in a way? Like yeah. The Leafs have the very the exact same mentality where they think, their champ, their talent alone is going to carry them to victory. Yeah, and I but, mean, oh, go on, go on. Just basically, it was just basically going to say, but clearly, that mentality is clouding their judgment and letting other teams that clearly, on paper, are much worse than them, beat them. And that's why you you have to look at these kind of situations where you have to be humbled to be playing more like a team. And mm. I think this Clippers team had to learn that the hard way this year, and. If they, if if the rumors are true that perhaps Kawhi and Paul George leave after next year, which they probably will because they're going to opt out of the last year of their contracts, then what does that say about the Clippers and their pursuit of trying to win a championship? What does mm-hmm. that say about the uh, players that they assembled together? And they threw Was it away really the right fit. They essentially threw away their future. Almost they they traded like their next, uh, I think I believe like five years worth of picks plus Shea Gilgis uh, Alexander, who we know is tearing it up in Oklahoma city. Probably their, you know, the Clippers top prospect at the time. So it really puts it a lot into perspective. And I, I mean, I want to keep this segment short, but I briefly yesterday, I kind of 
told you about the hot take. I don't think it's much of a hot take, but um, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a he is a leader, but the thing is, he leads more by example. Um, as at least how much we see, um, he is a leader and it is his team. But perhaps I was saying maybe they need, you know, someone like Kyle, Toronto has with Kyle Lowry, which is a you know a cemented leader, um, a cemented vocal leader more mm-hmm. so that kind of uh can really rally the guys um and can really you know um you know embodies that work hard mentality and kind of spreads it throughout the team now i'm not saying Kawhi leonard isn't that um again we don't know how he is you know with his individual teammates but i think Kawhi leonard works best when he doesn't have to assume the role of best player on the court plus um you know the vocal leader I think his dynamic in Toronto was really good because Kyle Lowry kind of took over that face of the franchise role and Kawhi Leonard was just able to ball, you know? Exactly. And I don't know. I think the Clippers have to figure that out because I think it plays into a lot of, like I said, the off-court drama that's happened. Um, And I think they really need someone to kind of really set them straight there. And Kawhi Leonard is, he's still the greatest player on that team and he's still honestly a top three player. Um, but you know, there were some issues there with, you know, getting that team to get Mm -hmm. rolling and getting them to actually want to work hard for it. Exactly. And I think it really just comes down to this. The Raptors on their own without Kawhi are a solid team that just needs that finisher. Kawhi needed that stability and just that, that ability to just focus on his game and not worry about outside noises uh, clouding his judgment and clouding his ability to do the thing that he's designed to do, and that's to win basketball games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much what it is. The Raptors need the, needed Kawhi just as much as Kawhi needs the Raptors. And, you know, if Kawhi does decide to come back, would you accept it? Would you be like, welcome back. We're, it was, it's good to have you back. Yes, I would. I mean, I think all Raptors fans would. I mean... And I also think all Raptors fans should have, you know, respected his decision to go home um, because, you know, he was kind of placed into this position here in Toronto, made the best of it, and then did what he really wanted to do. And, you know, I guess his stint there, I mean, again, he still has another year, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But if, let's oh, say, course. he doesn't win next year and he comes back, um, I mean, it just didn't work out for him. But, you know, he still did a lot here in Toronto. Why wouldn't you want a top three player back in Toronto? Yeah, exactly. That. So I'm just. I gonna, would love to have him back too. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to ask you: Should Kawhi have stayed? You know what? I mean, you look at that rumor from yesterday where he said he didn't think Toronto was good enough to mm-hmm. compete for another. And championship. just just quickly, that was reported by uh, Josh Lewenberg of TSN. Mm-hmm. He basically said uh, one of the reasons. I mean, obviously Kawhi wanted to go home, but another one of the reasons for leaving was that he didn't believe the Toronto Raptors were good enough. So okay. go on. Basically what I'm trying to get at here is that he should have stayed, but the way he should have stayed should have played out differently than the way he was thinking of staying. And you probably remember this was trying to get uh, Paul George traded here for Fred Van Fleet and Pascal and a bunch of other future assets just to make the team that he wants. And as you, as you know, that team did not really work out in the playoffs this year. And I don't think that's really going to work out unless they really just focus on their issues and just work together as a team. I think obviously do you, uh, do you think Kawhi respect regrets his decision? 
I don't know. I don't know if he's a guy that uh, has regrets, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that uh, I think if he had to redo it, he probably wouldn't have gone about, uh, oh, you have to trade for these guys if you want me to stay. Mm-hmm. I think he could have easily resigned for whatever money the Raptors would have thrown at him. And that team could have definitely been in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. For sure. For sure. We'll just have to, uh, I mean, we'll see how it plays out next season. I think, yeah, I think he just got his whole valuation wrong saying, that uh you know saying that the raptors aren't ready to go back to back i mean clearly they were good enough to go just as far as the uh clippers did so um we'll see how his his time in in la plays out next season um i do think to be honest i do think he'll still stay in la even beyond those two uh years after he opts out um but we'll have to see we'll have to see how it plays out Um, things can change in a year let's put it that way for sure for sure. I want to briefly talk about the WNBA playoffs, which have been uh, yes. very exciting so far. Um, and especially, I mean, last night, Shea Petty of the Phoenix Mercury scored that incredible buzzer beater uh, game, mm-hmm. uh, uh, basket to win the game. That was absolutely insane. And yeah, I just want to know your overall uh, your overall thoughts on it so far. We'll keep it short well, first, here. First of all, well, first of all, I want to just mention that uh, Petty was cut by the Mystic, uh, the same team she eliminated last mm-hmm. night, which I think is chef's kiss. <laughs> oh, for but sure. Honestly, the narrative behind it is insane. It's it's what everyone, you know, it's a narrative that people dream of, getting oh, getting yes. revenge on the team that kind of waved you, that kind of wrote oh, you yeah. off. Yeah. Honestly, both games were pretty interesting. I thought the Mercury uh, Mystic game was definitely more interesting to be honest, because it came down to the wire and then that, that shot was was a perfect ending to that game. The Suns versus the Sky was not particularly close throughout the entire game. I think you could imagine, you could argue that uh, it was pretty much the given uh, outcome because, what was it? The Sun have one of the best defenses in the league. The Sky like have one of the worst. And because the defense showed up, basically by the time the Sky tried to make it close, it was too little, too late. So I kind of respect them in a sense, like keeping the game close. But at the end of the day, the Suns were too much for mm-hmm. them. For sure. Um, it's definitely going to be very um, interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I thought, yeah, that Mercury game was just insane. Of course, we all love those uh, nail-biting endings. And uh, honestly, could go. it probably, for me, goes down as uh, right up there with OG Ananobi and uh, Luka Doncic's uh, buzzer beaters this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, tomorrow we get um, some more games. We get uh, Minnesota versus Phoenix, and then we get LA versus Connecticut. And uh, I just I can't wait to see how this uh, these play out. I think uh, a lot more people should be paying attention now that you know, you know, there's a lot more time to watch sports, and 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 rightfully so. I'm so happy that to see you know the WNBA get more coverage um, on TV, things like that. So it's it's great to see. Absolutely, and I think people take for granted uh, just how exciting these one and done games are like i'm not a huge fan of them for basketball because i feel like you need a few more games to at least determine a winner but honestly at the end of the day it still makes for exciting uh competition Mm -hmm. it makes the playoffs that much more important like every game is super valuable you have to be on your best for every single one and overall makes for good quality uh, competition for sure but uh i want to mention that we keep seeing this every time Big sport like big sports media outlets like Bleacher Report, 
and ESPN tweet anything in regards to uh, women's sports and specifically the WNBA. Just the amount of, uh, how do I put this? Fans that how awesome women's sports are. Like you see like, oh, wow, you posted this, sleeping, don't care. So it's super annoying, man. I just hate it. I hate that too. I mean, the skill level that they're, you know, putting out there on the court is insane. And it's so exciting. It's really exciting to watch. And, and I think people just have to, um, you know, give it some time. You know, they actually have to get, put their focus on it and actually give it a try and uh, put the time in to give it a try. And I think uh, I think they'll like it, simply put. I mean, huge props to all the WNBA fans that, are, that's, that just tune out those uh, annoying uh, people that just, that just push aside uh, women's sports as like a gimmick. And just be able to support their teams and the sports that they love. Like mm-hmm. honestly, props to you guys. You guys are the reason the, the real the true sports fans. There's just stick through despite all the criticism or just the doubters out mm-hmm. there. And yeah, I don't think I mean again, I don't think they uh in the end, I don't think the WNBA or the WNBA fans need those people's approval anyways. So uh, you know, we'll keep enjoying the WNBA and we'll keep enjoying exactly. women's sports. Exactly. So uh, actually, what, before we move on, uh, do mm-hmm. you want to make some quick predictions for the for the next two games? Um, to be honest, uh, uh, who do you think is going to win? Uh, I think I honestly think Phoenix will take the game against Minnesota, but I am pulling for Minnesota because uh, you know they have a couple Canadians on there, uh, Bridget Carl Bridget Carlton, and then uh, Kale Alexander, who I actually had the pleasure of uh, knowing and interviewing a, a few times. Um, so you know I feel like the I'm going to go with Minnesota, actually. Um, you know, I think they're well-rested right now as well, and I think Phoenix is just coming off a really big game. But you never know. And then I'm going to say uh, L.A. for the L.A. versus Connect game. What about you? I I feel the exact same way. Uh, it's, it's I think the higher-seeded teams are going to pull out on top for this one. I just something just I just have a gut feeling about it, to be completely honest. But I think got to get credit to the Sun and the... the Mercury, they made they made great games uh, last night. They definitely deserve to be here. Maybe I give I think that Mercury Linux game can go either way, but I think LA and Minnesota are going to be moving on to the third round. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really fun to play on uh, uh, Las Vegas and Seattle await them in their respective brackets. So moving on, we'll keep it short because we definitely need to get to our uh, NBA redraft this week pretty soon. Yes, um, but. There are some, uh, I'll let you explain it, there are some uh, rumors surrounding uh, the Leafs and uh, Alex Petrangelo, so can you just break it down for us? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our uh, co-writers at the Leafs Nation. They've been doing an excellent job of covering everything that's been going on uh, in regards to Leaf rumors. Uh, just yesterday, one of our colleagues, Scott Maxwell, just wrote a little piece about uh, how Alex Petrangelo says that one of his preferred destinations in free agency is uh, the Leafs. And also up there are the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And Pierre Lebrun also mentioned the Florida Panthers as a potential destination. Honestly, I'm not sure if this is going to happen. I still won't believe it until I actually see it happening, similar to Tavares. I've said this before on other podcasts, but I just, I just don't know how it will work financially. They still need to make trades before even attempting to sign him. This is probably a ploy by his agent to get the Blues to re-sign him, which I still think is mm-hmm. what's going to happen, despite sense. despite all the, the lack of negotiation uh, between the two parties. 
But honestly, if if the Leafs can sign him, how that would be a huge addition to their back end. We've been saying for years that Morgan Riley needs a top two right shot defenseman. That's who Pachandalil is. We've we already know this, but I just, it's just hard for me to see that that's going to be uh, actually occurring. It's just too too many variables have to occur for that to play mm-hmm. out. I'm with you there, honestly. Uh, the money's I just don't know how the money will work if the Leafs do go about, um, you know, actually wanting to sign him. They'll have to move a couple more pieces just to make the money work. And also, I mean, here's my opinion here, but I don't think, you know, signing him is the way to go for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think mm-hmm. they need a a much more effective defensive core overall, rather than putting all their eggs into one basket or. I mean, I'll say two or three as in Morgan Riley, Petrangelo, and then Jake Muzzin. And then after that, you know, the other half of the defensive core just falls off a cliff, basically. Um, You know, this isn't basketball where one or two players can affect, can dramatically change the course of a team. Um, I think the, the Leafs should be investing their money into multiple effective defensive players rather than one really, really good defensive player and then, you know, have the rest of it kind of mediocre. Exactly. It's it's obviously like I said, it would be a great move mm-hmm. for the for the franchise to make if they're able to sign him. That would be akin to signing John Tavares. Maybe even more so because that addresses an actual need, whereas Tavares is a luxury. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just too hard to pull off. Too many things have to go the least way for this to work. And even if they do sign him, like what other moves could you have to make to even make it work long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not not a big fan of it. Yeah, to I be mean, honest with you. signing him would eventually, I feel like, create a few more holes. Actually, then you know it'll solve one position, but take a few steps back in other positions, right? Just to make the money work. So we'll see what happens. Either way, I think. Uh, I mean, I think signing him would be a great idea, but I think also if they don't sign him, I think they're, I they do think they're better off. But we'll see how it plays out. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think it'll it's an interesting situation nonetheless, and uh, I mean before we head into our redraft, uh, I know the NFL started this week, um, and I just want to get your quick reactions. I mean, I caught a couple games. I was pretty busy this weekend. I won't lie, but uh, you know I was able to uh, catch uh, parts of a couple games. Uh, I want to say, uh, I mean for me, the main game I watched was the uh, Bengals game, and uh, Joe Burrow. I just want to say looks amazing out there already in his first game and oh, yeah. uh i think he has a very very exciting career ahead of him um they kind of fumbled it in a, in a funny way at the end uh you know they couldn't get him the yeah. w but uh i mean th- i mean that was that was just a great game and i just want to know i mean you're a bills fan so they won so tell me uh what was your reaction to that well first of all uh for those who don't know the Bengals lost us. Uh, 16 to 13 and a heartbreaker mm-hmm. one of the one of the whole most hilarious blunders in uh, nfl history and kind of the f- perfect way to start off his career if you think about it but uh for the for the bills they won 27 17 to the jets and i think that was a uh, an all-around great game for them they played excellent defensively their offense was clicking stefan Diggs looks like the real deal i think josh allen's passing has improved tremendously since uh, last season, because that's one of the big question marks, like will he be able to be a better passer this year? And so far, so good on that front. Not too big of a fan of they're playing the third quarter because they let the Jets really get back into it. And I mean, the score looks like they won by 10, but clearly that 
they had like a late court like touchdown the jets mm-hmm. did so it kind of like just it's kind of a, a bit of a wash but overall a solid win for the bills i think a lot of people are predict predicting that they uh win the afc east, east this year I still don't believe it until I see like consistent uh, success. And obviously being the Patriots is going to be big even without Tom Brady, but Hey, you never know. Uh, what about your Browns? Uh, I was just going to say, don't get me started on, <laughs> on my Cleveland <laughs> Browns. Uh, yeah, they suffered a pretty, a pretty unfortunate loss uh, to the Ravens uh, 38 to six. <laughs> pretty unfortunate is an understatement. But uh, we'll see. They play this week uh, against uh, the Bengals, so we'll see if they can bounce back. But I think uh, before we close out this segment, uh, I think the big uh, the big talk of the week was uh, you know the Pats and the Bucks comparisons. Of course, Tom Brady moved, went over to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, Cam Newton uh, joined the uh, Pats. So I want to know what you think because you know Brady's. Uh, his first week performance wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Cam Newton excelled in a lot of ways with the Patriots. And I just want to know your uh, quick reaction to that kind of uh, double-edged sword there. Well, let's just let's just put let's just go off the bat. Who would have predicted that the pa- the Patriots would have a much better showing in their first week than the Buccaneers did? But let's be real here. I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, comparison between the two parties. Like. What's the one thing that uh, NFL fans have been talking about uh, for years? Is Tom Brady a system quarterback or is he just that good? And we'll find out for sure this year if that's the case, because so far in the first week, wasn't really a great showing against a really good Saints team. That could have been easily a very close one, but it clearly wasn't. Whereas the Patriots are playing against a, Basement dweller and a team that's most likely going to be tanking this year in the Miami Dolphins. But, I mean, obviously you still have to play your best against every team you play against. Mm-hmm. And we still know that the Bill Belichick system works. The Bill Belichick system has won God knows how many Super Bowl champions. I get, I shudder as a Bills fan just hearing that, or at least saying that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, obviously it's just, it's kind of hilarious to see uh, Brady lose the way he did in his first week. Do you, I don't think he regrets his decision. It's way too early to tell, but we'll see how the season plays out. If uh, Brady was really a system quarterback or just as good as he really was, mm-hmm. for sure. So we'll just see how that plays out uh, over the next week and over the season. But uh, I think we'll take a quick break here and then we'll head into our 2015 NBA draft redo and then we'll end off the episode. So we'll be right back. All right, and we're back, and uh, we are about to do our 2015 NBA draft redraft. Um, if you haven't been following along on our podcast, um, we've been redrafting the past uh, few, you know, NBA drafts, and we did uh, before that we did the NHL drafts. So we do from 2010, and we're going all the way up till 2017, redrafting all those drafts, and you know, it's just something fun to do, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this 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 week is the 2015 NBA redraft, and I will have the first overall pick, and then Michael will have the second overall pick, and we'll be alternating between there, uh, between us two, and we will be redrafting the top ten picks. Yep. 
And so. uh, afterwards, we'll mention some honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, any players that we didn't uh, pick that deserves a nod, of course. Uh, don't you guys worry if any of you are uh, fans of some of the players that we didn't pick. Don't get them out of us. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this draft is really good. There's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of quality players in uh you know in our honorable mentions that haven't gotten picked this is just a really deep draft um there is star power at the top and there is really it's just really deep and it was a great draft um so i guess i have the first overall pick so i can just get right into it because we don't want to spend too much time on this one uh usually we kind of ramble a lot about players um but you know we'll just provide a brief analysis on them but yeah. With the first overall pick in uh, the 2015 draft, I'm going to take uh, the same player who was already taken first overall in this draft, and that is Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think that was a pretty easy choice. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're sweating there, uh, having to decide, uh, having to take Cat again. <laughs> He's really like the ideal big man to build around. I think Minnesota yeah. has that box checked off. Um, you know, he's great offensively and he's, and he's pretty elite defensively too. Um, of course he's been, you know, there's been struggles in Minnesota and I think he just needs that team built around him. And, you know, they have the first overall pick this, uh, in this upcoming draft. So we'll see what they can do there. But Carl Anthony town has been their brightest spot and he's been, he's a perennial, like superstar, honestly. Um, and he has a lot of room to grow still. Absolutely. I think it's just super frustrating to continually see the Timberwolves continue to struggle year after year, despite having all the talent that they have. And even at one point they had Jimmy Butler and obviously who knows like how, how much they're regretting that decision. I'm sure it's a lot, but overall, like Carl Anthony Towns is the least of their worries. He's been exactly as advertised since the beginning, mm-hmm. an excellent all around player. And I'm sure a lot of teams, if he was somehow available on the open market would be salivating at the idea of acquiring him because he's been that good for sure for sure so uh now you're up with the second overall pick and i think this was another there was another easy one i had to pick this guy who's been balling down uh, in phoenix and carl anthony town's teammate in college at kentucky devin booker Mm-hmm. he has been balling and honestly i mean i know we all say he's a superstar but i think he's still an underrated superstar it's just the the volume the capacity scores at is like insane and mm-hmm. you know i think the biggest comparison a lot of people make is to kobe bryant and he's the closest thing we have to kobe bryant right now in terms of his play style and he's very very good and it just sucks because he's in phoenix where they've been struggling pretty much all his career and he just wants to make the playoffs and we saw in the bubble just how good he is and just how good the Phoenix Suns are looking. They literally won all their games in the bubble, but unfortunately, you know, they still may didn't make the playoffs. And, you know, a lot of people have their gripes about, uh, is that fair? Because, you know, what, what's the point of bringing a team out if, uh, if they could win all their games and still not make the playoffs? But that's something else. But, um, yeah, I mean, just honestly a star power player. And I think, again, just like Carl Anthony Towns needs a, effective team built around him but he can definitely be that number one guy he already is that number one guy mm-hmm. i do want to mention though about that uh about his play in the or the sun's play in the bubble uh x i think it just bodes well for their long-term future because i know a lot of people were wondering if he's even going to be on this team much longer because of just the stagnation and the lack of uh, overall team success but 
I think this, if this bubble proved anything, that this team is right there. They're they're mm-hmm. on the cusp mm-hmm. of being a powerhouse in the West. They just need maybe a couple more pieces or just a season to go their way. They're right, like I said, they're so close. And I, I think as long as Devin Booker's around, as long as they have uh, the, their core group around him uh, sticking together, this team can uh, one day, and maybe very sooner than you think, be back in the in the playoff conversation. For sure. I think if anything, it was a big confidence boost for them. Um, so I'll move on to my third overall pick. And I will take uh, a guy who has literally excelled, I think, expectations coming into the league. And that is Kristaps Porzingis. That's and, who I uh, had at number three as well. If we all think back to when he was drafted, Knicks fans did not like that pick at all. Maybe they just didn't know too much about him, but he basically, you know, kind of shut them up. And uh, in a good way, he proved them all wrong and showed that he can, you know, excel in this league, but quickly mm-hmm. became their star. And, it, you know, I'm sure the Knicks would have loved to still have him on their team. Um, but uh, now that he's in Dallas, I think it's a great fit. He's the second man to Luka Doncic, who's, you know, an absolute superstar already in his second season. Yeah. Um, and that team is Dallas is looking like the team to watch, you know, for the next five years. Luka Doncic could easily become an MVP in the next few years. And they those two can, you know, him along with Chris Stapps Porzingis can lead Dallas to a championship possibly. Honestly, I always laugh whenever I watch Stephen A. Smith's immediate reaction to the drafting of Christoph Porzingis. Because that's the, we were led astray, run a buck, but deceived, uh, bamboozled, all that stuff. <laughs> and just looking at how his career has played out since then, it's always hilarious to me. And it's even more saddening, if you think about it, just that the Knicks gave up on him so easily. And for the package that they got back in return and then seeing what he's been doing in Dallas, honestly, like, he should have stayed in New York if they had better management because he was the face of that franchise for those few years that they were futile. It's it's honestly sad that the Knicks on have been in such a tire fire for the last few decades. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so you're up with the fourth pick now? I don't think there's uh, too much hesitation with this one. He's been excellent in Indi- Indiana, uh, all-around great player. I've always been uh, intrigued by him, and that's uh, Miles Turner. Miles Turner, yeah. Um, I had him up there too. Just a great player um, all around, honestly. Um, of course, he missed parts of his first few careers, but he really did break through, especially in his third season, like you said, with Indiana. And uh, I think he's really, you know, starting to he's 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 excelled really well uh, and uh rolled with uh everything he's been given and i think indiana has a great great piece in him mm-hmm, absolutely and like indiana is one of those teams that you kind of feel bad for in a sense that they have all this talent all these great group of players and yet for whatever reason they can never get it together in the playoffs maybe it's most likely because of rotten luck or just just playing against far superior teams but this team can definitely compete year Mm. after year oh for sure i mean indiana i think will you know i think next season as well um barring whatever happens with uh oladipo i think they'll still be a contender in the east for sure and they can make uh they can make a deep playoff run um given the circumstances if, if the circumstances uh help them but yeah for sure and i think miles turner is a key piece to that puzzle 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you're up next at number five. Yeah. So with my, uh, I'm just checking my list right now. With my, uh, what number are we on? Six, five, five. We're on number five. With my fifth Mambo overall number pick. Five. Mm-hmm. With my fifth overall pick, I'm think I think we're seeing the biggest jump in the, uh, in the draft here. I'm gonna go ahead and pick uh, Montrez Harrell from the Los Angeles Clippers. Nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to say about him, but he has been very very good, especially the last few seasons. Um, turned into an, uh, a starter and has been that, um, you know, kind of that missing piece, uh, very effective defensively as well. Just, uh, uh, you know, a big guy who can uh, also get you buckets, who can dominate on the floor. And uh, he fits in very well with the uh, Clippers there. I mean, we were clowning a little bit earlier about the Clippers uh, just boasting about how good of a team that they were and then didn't live up to expectations. But say what you will about Montreal Harris. He's he's an excellent fit on that team, and I think down down in the paint, uh, you need to have guys like him as a good defensive presence. And yeah. he still puts up buckets as well, which is really important to have. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and let's not even forget he was just uh, named uh, the sixth man of the year. So there you go. There you go. I mean, that says a lot. Um, you know, he can start on some nights, he can come off the bench, and he could still just be just as effective. Multiple thirty point uh, thirty point games for him. Uh, this season and i think he's a good fit there and here's the thing for me on most nba teams he'd be easily their starter so the fact that he won this uh six man of the year is very well deserving he's an excellent player mm-hmm. all right you're up with number six so i'm thankful that you did not take this guy at number five I'm i was debating to i was debating i'm probably gonna take yeah i'm probably gonna pick him up a number six and that's d'angelo russell of course, D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, that's a great choice. And I was, you know, I was gonna take him at five because honestly, I'm at, f- I'm uh like I had him and Harrell, you know, battling the four and five spots. Um, but yeah, I know I took Harrell. Uh, but D D'Lo is an amazing talent, and I mean, you could talk more about it, but yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. Although he is the first drop in this draft, he's still an excellent player in his own right. Uh. It's unfortunate that the way his career has played out in some in some aspects, like how his time in LA initially ended, and he did bounce back nicely with the uh, the Nets. Now he's bounced around from the uh, what is it? He was on the Golden State Warriors. Now he's on the Minnesota the Timberwolves. Minnesota, yeah. like he's been going all around mm-hmm. the place. I hope he could just find some stability in his career because he could totally need that. I think it would just give a boost to his confidence. He's played well throughout his career. Let's let's not forget that. He's been an excellent uh, scorer, and I think he can definitely be one of the top uh, point guards slash shooting guards in his league. I mean, let's remember, um, you know, he was, before Kyrie Irving obviously stepped into Brooklyn this season, he was the number one option on the Brooklyn Nets, and he, he was an all-star, and he really did will them to the playoffs as a number mm-hmm. one option so he can be that guy and he just needs to look for a fit obviously golden state just took him because you know it was a sign and trade for kevin durant um might as well get a good piece in him and they just he they wanted to flip him and they flipped him and i think minnesota was i think he will fit in with minnesota obviously he's with his you know his best friend carl anthony towns now and i think this is the place where he 
finds a permanent home. And I think that's, like you said, the stability. I think he needs that. And it's, it's unfortunate to see him get bounced around so much. Um, he's been treated more like an asset than a player these last few seasons. Um, but I definitely do think uh, Minnesota is where he will excel. And we know he's an all-star caliber talent. Exactly. And at 24, soon to be 25, he still has a lot of mileage left in his career. So, yeah, I hope he's able to find his permanent because I think it'd be confidence and yeah. develop really well. Mm-hmm. It would be good for his confidence. So uh, let's move on. We'll uh, round out these picks uh, a little quicker here just because uh, yeah, where the segment is going on a little bit too long, but um, <laughs> it, happens. <laughs> it happens with us. But uh, all right, so uh, I have number seven um, up next, and I'm going to take uh, – Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's where I had him too. Or yeah. at least around there. Oh yeah. So he's been a, a very effective player, uh, especially the last couple seasons. Uh I know he joined the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. He had a great season this season, but you know, as a team they couldn't um they couldn't get it going how they planned out. But I still think he's a very effective piece, uh, especially for their team. Um so we'll see how we'll see how that plays out. Um of course. Definitely. The 76ers will be looking to, uh, you know, with a new head coach, hopefully reassess the system. But I think Josh Richardson is a key player into their future. Absolutely. And another great example of the the ability that he'd have to unearth the quality talent Mm -hmm. in the draft. uh, We have to remember, uh, he was actually taken in the second round by the Heat uh, Mm -hmm. in this draft. And the fact that he's been able to have such a long career and in this redraft, he's uh, now in the top 10. Says a lot about his development. For sure. So uh, you're up next with the eighth pick. Of course, uh, this one was a pretty easy one. I have to take a playoff P on the Raptors. There you go. <laughs> the correct playoff P, and that's Norman Powell. Of course. So Norman Powell, uh, I think we the last few picks, we just saw a huge jump in uh, you know their original selection to now. Norman Powell originally taken 46th overall. Now he jumps up to uh, jumps up to number eight. And yeah, I mean, as Raptors Raptors fans will know just uh, how much of a steal that was and how effective he's been uh, for the Raptors. You know, on any given night, he's been able to come off the bench uh, and really, you know, put up huge games when the team needs it. And he's been a really, really solid player for uh, the Raptors. And yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing what happens uh, in the next few years because, you know, he didn't really have the, the best playoffs this uh Especially, I guess this series, you know, in Brooklyn he was with Brooklyn mm-hmm. he was lighting up, but it was a very hard series for him to get it going um, against Boston. But we'll see because he has he has a record of, uh, of course, coming out when he need, when he's needed. So absolutely, mm-hmm. honestly, we we have to be thanking the Bucks for giving uh, us uh, giving the Raptors uh, Powell because that move has turned out very well. He could easily win six minute of the year this year, and honestly. I think if you look at the second round of this draft, it might be one of the deepest uh, second rounds in the last few years. Like, look at how many players so far we've taken in the second round that are already in the top 10 for this redraft. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, so uh, I guess I'm up with the uh, ninth overall pick now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take uh, Larry Nance Jr. From the, Excellent choice. From the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we know he played very well in his time in LA got traded to Cleveland uh to join LeBron in 2018 
and uh, he's still been very effective there, even after LeBron left. I mean, just this season, he put up uh, his career high, uh, averaging about 10 points per game. And, uh, of course, his three-point percentage also increased this season. Last season, he uh, was kind of his br- a slow breakout. He's just been... I just think he's been improving pretty much every season, and he's mm-hmm. a very solid role player right now um, for Cleveland. And, of course, yeah. uh, the success isn't there on the team yet, but he is a bright spot. Absolutely. I definitely can see him as uh, a sixth man of the year candidate in a few years if his career continues to progress the way it has. So you need to have guys like that on your team, like guys who can come off the bench, provide solid uh, minutes, solid production, all on both ends of the court. and. I think he could definitely provide that in Cleveland. Obviously, right now, like you said, they're not in a great spot because they're still rebuilding. But overall, you can't be too mad at the production Larry Nance Jr. has provided. He's not the least of the uh, Cavaliers' problems. And since he's also from Akron, Ohio, maybe he passes on the torch from LeBron? (laughs) For sure, maybe. Maybe he's the chosen one. (laughs) But we'll see. He's still young. All these guys are still young. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. So how about you round it out, and then we'll do the honorable mentions and then get on with our, our way. Of course, yeah. I think this was a pretty easy one. Uh, had to have been another player on the Miami Heat, uh, Justice Winslow. Mm-hmm. I had him at 10th as well. Again, just a uh, solid, solid player. And uh, we do know that uh, the Miami Heat um, have found a lot of uh, success with him. Um, and he's just... Uh, he's just a good you know a good player he's just he just plays hard now of course he's uh with the memphis grizzlies though but uh again another young team that's uh finding a lot of success and in no uh no doubt with him as well absolutely he's been a solid player his entire career like a solid bench player at that and his numbers have been fairly consistent for the most part with the exception being uh his rookie season and his third season for a point per production but you still need guys like that on your team. A, a solid player all for all. For sure, for sure. So uh, now, uh, how about we go into some honorable mentions? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can start off uh, by naming some of your honorable mentions. I'm going through the list here. Well, I see two uh, Raptors on this list. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson mm-hmm. immediately jump out and to me. Stanley Johnson, I mean, he went eighth overall. Uh, I think he's actually the highest drafted Raptor currently. Which is pretty yeah. insane, but hey, he he had some good games in the bubble, so that was interesting to see. Oh yeah, and Delon Wright, uh, former Raptor, mm-hmm. who's now on uh, I believe Dal- Dallas, right? Oh yeah. Um, uh, Raptors fans have very fond memories of him, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, for me, I'm just looking through the list. One guy I had on my radar on my uh, board was uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. Oh yeah, he's an that's excellent good. player. Um, also uh, Trey Lyles. Willie Cauley Stein, um, even Jaleel Okafor had uh, had his uh, time, you know, um, and he still plays for the Pelicans, and and you know he's he's turned. He, I guess the hype for him was a little higher, but he's still a solid role player. Terry Rosier, um, I'm just looking through the list. Kevon Looney, um, Jetty Osman, seventy sixer, and seventy sixers mm. legend Jaheel Okafor. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's just it was just a solid draft all all around, honestly. Honestly, yeah. I, I totally agree with you there. I think uh this is definitely one of the deepest drafts we've done so far and uh it's sad we only got a couple 
couple more left. So mm-hmm. what's next? 2016? 2016 and then 2017. And then we uh, we'll have to reevaluate a series after that. But we'll see. <laughs> let, let us know if you want to do more series like this for other leagues. Uh, mm-hmm. if Or just some some for, uh, for both the NBA and NHL in general. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Of course. All right. So uh, I think with that, we will close out this episode. I know we've been running pretty long here. Um, but yeah, I mean... We'll see how uh, the playoffs play out. It's going to be interesting. Um, both hockey and basketball are moving into their final four. And, uh, yeah. So, with that, um, let's just plug it in our socials. You can follow me yeah. at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore on Twitter. Me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO. You can also find our podcast on Twitter at Behind the Net Pod. And we're also on YouTube, uh, Behind the Net Podcast, where you can find our bonus episode covering the Raptors uh, game seven loss. And as I mentioned earlier, I will link to that in the description for this podcast. If you want to check it out, it was a really great discussion. I hope you you give it a listen. Of course. So with that, um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next week.